This is Alex. And this is James. And you're listening to the American Toffee Podcast. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. James here, as always, joined by my close friend, Alex. Salutations. Coming to you immediately following Everton's 2-0 win versus Watford in the Carabao Cup. On to the quarterfinals with a really sketchy at times, but eventually pretty comfortable win, I suppose, with the 2-0 margin. Although, of course, Richarlison's goal towards the end just kind of put it to bed. And it, I guess it really wasn't. I didn't feel comfortable throughout the whole match. I don't know how you felt, Alex. Yeah, no, there was no reason to feel comfortable at all. To be fair, Watford never really challenged. There were a couple iffy moments, specifically on the counter, naturally. But I thought both center backs, well, I guess all three center backs did a, a good job of wiping up, um, specifically, you know, when, when it got 3v3 in a couple moments like that. So it was, I mean, overall, overall, you really can't complain about the result. However, the, however, the performance itself uh, could have been a bit iffy. But before we dive into that, as we discussed last week during our midweek shows, we're always going to try to have someone for our brand new segment called Friend of the Show. And this time around, it's Valley Wit who is on our Discord channel and also on Twitter with the same handle. And essentially, the friend of the show, because of the fact that it made us laugh, this person said, I've just realized why I love Everton so much. It's just like my marriage. Lots of screaming and yelling with a couple of satisfying climaxes each month. And I found that <laughs> absolutely hilarious. And actually, it was quite fitting that, you know, that was said yesterday, actually. So it was quite fitting that uh, that it, that I, I shared it the day of, of a win against Watford after a, a, another terrible performance a couple of days ago. Yeah, it's really funny. I mean, it's a good comment. And it's, I mean, I think probably relatable for a lot of fans. I myself am not married. I'm single, so... Um, oh, James, single? <laughs> is that yeah, an advertisement? Ladies. ladies. I no. highly doubt there's, well, no, there might be a couple. We know Faye from, uh, from Twitter always, uh, always supports us. But, but she's otherwise. also married. So regardless, ah, man, any single ladies out there, you know, slide into the DMS. Um, but, but yeah, no, it's a, it's a really funny comment and just wanted to highlight that, especially because they've been such a Valley. What has been a ardent supporter of the program for some time even going to great lengths to harass Kyle Martino to try to get him to come on the pod, there it which is. we appreciate though it has yet to come to fruition. Um, so yeah, just uh, a really good and, and contributing member to the discord too. Uh, shameless plug. If you haven't joined it yet, get on it, do it now. And yeah, uh, just keep bringing on those creative comments. And, and if you can be funny, um, which I am try to be, but generally am not, uh, it's an added bonus. So let's get back into talking about this post-match because it was somewhat uneventful, but yet there's seemingly a lot to break down. I mean, first things first, you have to take the opposition into consideration. Watford, who are in abysmal form and have a lot of injuries. I mean, they've got a lot of players that are sidelined, the likes of Troy Deeney, um, Ismail Assar, I think that's how you pronounce it. A lot of their key players are out and also you know, being benched because at the moment, the cup competitions are not Watford's primary concern. So I think it's important to set the context of this match because... Really, we should be winning this much more comfortably, if you ask me, especially considering the fact that we're at home. Yes, absolutely. It's I, I want to say, and, and don't quote me, but Watford are winless against any Premier League opposition, whether it's in the league or cup matches, since 
I want to say February of 2019. So literally eight months, um, maybe even more depending on what day, seeing as how it's the end of October. And so with that, I mean, that that sort of stat, while it could make for nice reading for some naive fans, we know how Everton works and that just sets up for a terrible result, even at Goodison Park when you're playing at Goodison Park. But it was definitely a tough test. I think the scoreline is fair. I want to say that, to be honest, we did play a 2-0 win, a 2-0 game in general, because again, Watford really didn't test us a whole lot. However, it comes down to the same old, same old, regardless of who was picked. Now, it was exciting because we saw Richarlison start on the left, which if you see our Twitter account tweeting about Richarlison on the left, it's Alex. Like I'll, I'll put that on record. And Always. nonetheless, and all I'm going to say is when he scored in the 90th plus two, he came in from the left, but nonetheless, not to toot my own horn or anything. Uh, you know, we saw Moise Keen on the, on the right, which was super exciting. We want to see him playing. And I thought overall it was, I mean, it was a positive, uh, it was a positive lineup, but I think we saw very quickly that unfortunately, regardless of how the opposition set up, because they set up in a, in a, in a back five, um, we still played the same boring default to moving the ball to our fullbacks immediately and hoping we can move it up the pitch on the flanks. Yep. More of the same. I mean, at this point, it shouldn't surprise anyone. It's clear Marco Silva has a philosophy and eh, to some extent, there's only so much you can do when the defense sits compactly. You have to try to reverse ball switch fields and try to break teams down that way. But it's just concerning, like it seemed the seeming general lack of urgency And also, it just seems like at times the midfield doesn't want the ball. Like they'll just stand in a passing lane where there's a defender blocking, you know, whether it be Mason Holgate or Yuri Mina in that passing lane. And there's no movement from the midfield to try to create an angle for a pass to go through. Um, But uh, it's hard. I don't want to be too negative, but I also don't think we can take too much from this victory in the sense of like, doesn't mean that we're going to have a good result against Spurs at the weekend. I certainly don't feel confident about that, but we stayed in the cup competition. I think this was Marco Silva meeting a bare minimum threshold to keep his job. I think if this had gone south, we may be waking up to some interesting news tomorrow, but that I'll digress on a little bit or reel things back in. I did think Richarlison operated very well on the left and it's clear that that's his best position. He looked much more comfortable taking on players, dribbling and cutting inside from that left-hand position And it resulted in a goal, although the goal at that point, the game was so wide open. And what was interesting was it was a very compact performance by Watford for probably 70 minutes. And then things really, really started to open up. And I think it was the the Andre Gray shot that Jordan Pickford was right there for probably the one moment that we needed him most in the match. And he was able to come up big. And from that point on, things really started to, the intensity ramped up, the crowd got more into it. And we started to see some more opportunities and countless uh, instances of us hitting the crossbar. Alex Awobi, very unlucky not to score. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's a win. And But the, with, the, with the win, there comes some downsides, namely Yeri Mina departing injured yet again. Can't seem to get healthy. So that's a concern for me. Yeah, that's a huge concern. I, I probably should have mentioned that in the lineup because uh, we were all, I think most Everton fans were pretty surprised to see him starting, especially since he couldn't... Um, you know, pass his fitness test for the weekend about three days ago, but it was a positive nonetheless. And then he comes off and, and now you're hoping it's not another situation like JPG in which, you know, he was okay. Now he's rushed back and all of a sudden he's injured for an extended period of time. Um, I doubt it's that, you know, it just looks like something like a hamstring or, you know, you know, something pretty minor, but 
knock on wood, hopefully I'm not cursing it there. Um, either way, to ramp things up on our side of things here in terms of energy levels, James, Mason Holgate Ooh. scored his first goal for Everton, which actually blew my mind. I don't, I still don't know if I believe that. So may, I, hopefully I'm talking crap and like I'm completely wrong. This is the only time I want to be wrong, actually. But uh, apparently that was his first goal for Everton and it came exactly when we needed it to go 1-0 up. As you said, if Andre Gray would have scored that goal, um, you know, our fate could have been much worse based on how our heads seem to dip anytime we concede. So that was super exciting. You can see how hype Mason Holgate and the team were in general. It was fantastic as always to see my favorite Tom Davies run onto the pitch and celebrate with him because they are close to BFFs apparently. Yeah, that was a really nice little fan video. Um, some good like live footage from inside the stadium, which I personally always love to see. I know there's a lot, a um, bit of a tangent here, but like fans get upset when people have their phones out at the match. And I understand that for a cer- to a certain extent, but also I just love to see the firsthand footage from the stands of the players celebrating or um, whatever it is. And so, yeah, a Mason Holgate goal. And like you said, Alex, I, I it does seem bizarre that this is his first goal, but then you factor in like he really hasn't had a sustained run in the team for a couple of years. Um, and, and in addition to that, he's a defender. So, and we know that we've struggled with defenders uh, despite getting a lot of good opportunities off set pieces. They tend to not be able to finish them all that well. Yeri Mina probably should have three or four goals this season so far, but again, I digress. It's a really positive moment for him. And also, you know, compounding that with his assist at the weekend, um, he looks to be a suitable third option at center back. I don't think that he's quite ready to displace Michael Keane or Yeri Mina on a long-term basis, but if Yeri Mina is incapable, if the injury keeps him out for the weekend or for any extended period of time, I do feel somewhat comfortable having Mason Holgate slot in, though I still think he can be a bit rash sometimes. We saw it with the challenge at the weekend against Brighton. Sometimes his his decision-making in individual moments can be a bit risky or a bit um, emotional even sometimes, like just going back a couple of years to the Firmino incident. Um, but that being said, you know, his play speaks for itself. He looks like he's confident bringing the ball forward and tries to make things happen. And that's all you can really ask for. And then for him to execute on that in consecutive games is a big deal. Yes. And, and just kind of a note in our last episode, you know, we talked about, and I kind of posed the question, you know, what does it say when Michael Keane stayed in at center back? Uh, again, this is last match, last weekend. He stayed in center back on the right-hand side and and Holgate stayed in at the left. And I kind of asked the question, does that kind of say that Michael Keane may be a little, a little uh, less flexible in terms of what side he can play? Obviously, they're both right-footed. And then today we see that Yeri Mina, who's been playing left since he joined Everton because he was the pairing with uh, Michael Keane, he ended up playing on the right-hand side because naturally all three of them are right-footed. And then Holgate played on the left again. And so that's just kind of a note. I'm not sure how to take that. Um, I think that kind of squashes the whole thought process of does that show inflexibility in Michael Keane? Um, But, you know, it's just interesting to see that he would change Yeri Mina's side um, out of nowhere and, and Mason Holgate on the left-hand side. But nonetheless, you know, another another big topic really for me was, and it was all over Everton Twitter naturally, we were all hyped to see Moyes Keane get the start in the match. We were, you know, I think the fan base was hoping to see more of him thus far into the season. Although James and I, you know, you and I both talked about this prior to the season starting. And we both said it wasn't going to be until late fall or even, you know, the winter part of the season in which we would see him start to really be integrated based on the fact that he's so young, you know, the Premier League takes a lot, 
you know, to start getting acclimated to. So he started on the right hand side and he didn't, he wasn't really able to produce anything. Now to his credit, to the front line's credit, uh, we weren't really able to get them the ball much at all, but him, him and Seamus Coleman weren't working too well together. Um, a couple times in which Moisky was able to get the ball at his feet, you know, I think all fans liked what they saw in terms of him trying something different, trying different pieces of skill, but he wasn't really ever able, able to link up with any other players. He wasn't able to retain possession. And so he got subbed off at halftime for Theo Walcott. Um, James, what did you think about that dis- that decision in general f- from Marco Silva? Well, it's a questionable decision, or I thought at the time it was a bit bizarre to yank the young player off at the half, but you could tell that he really doesn't feel comfortable on the right-hand side, although he does have experience similar to Richarlison playing across the front three. I think he's definitely more of a left winger or a striker and not so much the right wing, which you can say about a lot of our wing players besides Theo Walcott. They're all, most of them are natural left wingers. And so we've run into this conundrum yet again that Marco Silva, I'm sure, has spent countless hours, sleepless nights even, worrying about is that playing a player out of position, you're probably not going to get the best from them. And it goes back to, like you said earlier, playing Richarlison on the left. But I just think to put Moise Keen in a position where he's not the most comfortable, albeit the opposition, not the best. So you would expect more, but you could see the effort was there. Like there's no questions about his potential or his effort. It's just about getting him in a position where he can be successful. And firstly, that involves getting him service, getting him on the ball, which we didn't do a great job of. And secondly, you know, it's just about time being patient with him. 19 years old, plenty of time to develop. And you can extend that to large portions of our squad who are still extremely young. And it's so easy to forget because some of them have been in the first team picture for a while, a year plus, two years, three or four years even. It just requires patience. And you had a really good tweet, Alex. You know, the average age of our front line is 21 years old. It's going to not going to click. Our front four today was actually yeah. 21 years old. So yeah. including Iwobi. Right. You throw in Iwobi there who, he again, he's been, played over 100 Premier League games, I believe, for Arsenal and yet still only 23. So there's a lot of growth still to come from the squad. And I understand the the necessity of wanting things now. And I want results now. We spent all this money. But just because you spent a lot of money on a player doesn't mean they're immediately going to return that investment in their first five games or even their first season or you know, a couple seasons Some in some cases. It's going to take time for him to click. And this was an example, I think, of him kind of being not put in the best position by the manager to succeed in regards to Moise Keen, of course. Um, I do, th- and it, but at the same time, you know, it's hard to to displace Dominic Calvert Lewin, who has shown a lot of good goal scoring form lately. So, again, like you, it's clear that Marco Silva wants to get Moise Keen in the team, but based on the performances of other players elsewhere in the squad, it's prevented him from putting him at his best position. Which I think, if you want the player to get up to speed as quickly as possible, you just you you got to play him at his best position. But at the same time, you know, you can't take the the development or yeah, the development of an individual player and put that over the importance of winning game by game, especially if you're someone in Marco Silva's position where every game right now is a must win. Yes. So so here's here's my point, right? If if we saw the starting lineup and it was reversed, Theo Walcott started on the right, everything else was the same, and Moise, Moise Keane was on the bench, everyone would have been pissed. Okay. So then we got what we asked for, which was Moise Keane to start. And he started on the right-hand side. Is that his least preferable of the front three? Absolutely. It showed. That's fine. My argument is, again, in exactly how you pointed out, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, I don't think anyone can say that Moise Keane should start over Dominic Calvert-Lewin, um, you know, or even Richarlison at striker. At the moment, he shouldn't. 
because they are showing good form. They're scoring goals, specifically Dominic Calvert-Lewin, as you said. I think I want to say in the Premier League, he's like five for five currently. Um, so with that, in my opinion, I thought it was a good move from Marco Silva. Look, you're not getting minutes. You're at a new club. The club is somewhat struggling. So he finds a way to get you on the pitch and get you that start. He worked hard. He tried to make it happen. Unfortunately, it didn't come off. Now, could that be a pretty big hit to his confidence? Maybe. But at the same time, as you said, Marco Silva has to win now. And he need, he felt that he needed to give Theo Walcott 45 minutes to change the game. Now, to be fair to Theo, and I think the fans agree, he was a game-changing substitution. Marco Silva was 100% justified in making that substitution, and it paid off because Theo Walcott really helped you know, play very direct um, against Watford's back line. He gave them a lot of problems, and, and I thought that he was really positive. You know, He worked hard for the team. And so, so with that, as unfortunate as for Moise Keane, I mean, you know, James, you, you and I both know anybody that's an Everton fan or, or really a sports fan can find something to complain about either way. But I, but I think that it, I think that it's okay, um, and hopefully there aren't any terrible ramifications coming from it. So, so really to wrap things up, I just want to ask you, you know, you mentioned it earlier. If we would have lost, you think that Marcus Silva probably would have been sacked immediately in the morning. Now that we've won, we're on to the quarterfinals. We have Spurs on the weekend. You know, how long do you think Marcus Silva has? How long does this really help him prolong his stay at Everton? Um, or, you know, and if so, how, how long, how much time does it buy him? For me, I think this is purely a, it's a good, it's a good win for the squad. Like we're in, we want silverware. Every Everton fan knows we're not winning the league. Therefore, our only outlet for any type of success this season would be one of the two cups. And you look at the cups and the priorities that the best teams seem to set and the league cup tends to be fairly low on that totem pole. And so logic would have you say that the Carabao Cup is our best opportunity at Silverware this season. This win does nothing to, you know, it's not going to win the fans back that have already, you know, turned on Silva because it wasn't entirely convincing. I think this keeps him alive, has him tread water, but I do think he has a bit of a longer leash than than many who have turned on him may think, especially considering the fact, you know, we're five points away from being right back in the thick of things as we will continue to remind you, listeners at home or in the car or wherever you're listening, things aren't that bad yet. So if he can get us to mid table and, you know, points four or five points away from being in that top six, the, the famous top six that we're so desperately trying to break into. And he can continue to move us forward in the cups. I think he'll be fine throughout the season, to be honest. Like if we finish ninth and make a semifinal or a final in one of the competitions, I just don't see us sacking him. But what's more important than just pure results, although those come first is just to see some kind of change in not even the style of play, but just some kind of lineup change or tactical continuing to to switch things up when things get very blatantly stale. And for me, I, I think he's still got plenty of time left unless we just like drop four match another four matches in a row, like he's gone. But if he can can win some, get some draws, I just think that he can linger around because I I don't think that the board have any interest in searching for a new manager midseason at all. Absolutely. I mean, that, that, in my opinion, that's the dumbest way to go in terms of, you know, switching out in the middle of the season if it's not absolutely dire need. I'm not sure, actually, if I agree with you in the sense that if he can just make the semifinal or a final of a cup and, and we finish, let's say, ninth place, he'll stick around. Um, 
I don't know that that's maybe maybe in that situation if he actually wins the cup. But otherwise, you know, people have been bringing it up now. The Martinez comparisons, you know, that season he brought us to two semifinals, both both cups, uh, semifinal in both cups, and 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 yet I think he finished what eleventh, and he was sacked. Um, now it's not quite the same thing, but it could be. It, you know, we we very could be looking at a, another very very um, mid table finish. So either way, it's going to be interesting, but I just, I just want to see that he's switching it up, as you said, and, and as everyone is saying, stop just trying to move the ball to the wings and, and stop forcing your central midfield players to, to vacate to the wings in order to play, you know, tiki-taka around, around your, the opposition. It's just, it's tired, it's not working, and the players aren't fitting to that style. But either way, luckily for all of you, Assuming we are actually recording again tomorrow. Now, usually we try not to, you know, announce like, hey, we're doing this, we're doing that. But I will say, assuming everything goes as planned, so don't hold us to it. We're going to be recording tomorrow um, for our Spurs preview episode with a certain U.S.-based Tottenham Hotspur podcast called Hotspur America. And so we're going to get the resident experts in to hear their side of the story, see what kind of tactics maybe... Um, players that that they think will start for Tottenham because, as you all know, James and I can't be experts on every Premier League team. And hopefully it'll be a good episode. So look out for that. Otherwise, thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks for the support as always. And up the Toffees. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at USA Toffee Pod to stay up to date on the latest episode releases and Everton news. And we'll see you guys next time.